Welcome to the podcast series, episode 44, part 2. Intergenerational Trauma, Parenting Outcomes and Considerations for Practice. The podcast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archives. This podcast provides a research framework for intergenerational trauma psychopathology, including a summary of important empirical evidence. A review of the research literature is then used to outline practice considerations, including possible interventions. Examining Trauma Psychopathology and Parenting In the introductory podcast, Intergenerational Trauma Beyond the Cycle of Abuse, a review of theoretical approaches showed multiple pathways by which combinations of risk and protective factors can influence whether or not trauma is transmitted between generations. In this follow-up podcast, specific issues and knowledge on intergenerational trauma are summarized before offering considerations for child welfare practice. While it is clear from the literature that parental history of trauma can be related to a host of negative parenting outcomes, such as parenting stress, satisfaction, and self-efficacy, researchers are better understanding these relationships by focusing on specific trauma characteristics, including type, duration, frequency, and use of force. In-depth research is providing findings that are more descriptive and practice-friendly, which is an important development as parents with histories of trauma are at higher risk of child welfare services involvement when compared to parents without trauma, and are also more likely to lose parental rights, which can further exacerbate trauma symptoms. Many parents with trauma histories who are involved in child welfare services have a history of child welfare involvement as a child themselves, and traumatic experiences such as being removed from home could be part of the source of intergenerational trauma. It is crucial that practitioners understand how child welfare services might be contributing to intergenerational trauma and work to support children and families to find healthier strategies to cope. Researchers and practitioners refer to the history of an individual's trauma and related behaviors as psychopathology, viewing current maladaptive cognitions and behaviors within the context of a child's history and the history of their caregivers helps weave a web that includes events that may have long-term emotional and behavioral patterns in an attempt to cope with trauma. This podcast will use psychopathology to further examine the intricacies of intergenerational trauma and provide practitioners with evidence-based recommendations for practice. Mediation Models One way researchers uncover risk and protective factors within intergenerational trauma is through mediation models. A mediator is something that accounts for a relationship between two things, or variables. In other terms, a mediator explains why two variables are related in a specific way. Researchers test for mediators by measuring for specific factors, then removing them from the model and observing the effect on the relationship. Researchers have used mediation models to explore under what conditions and through what mechanisms maltreatment in childhood may influence parenting focusing on parenting behaviors. For example, depression, anger, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress have all been found to mediate the relationship between maternal trauma and negative parenting behaviors. Depression specifically mediates the relationship between childhood trauma and parenting stress and satisfaction. Mediation models are also used to examine child behavioral outcomes, 
completing the reach of intergenerational trauma. For example, verbal hostility in parenting has been found to mediate the relationship between maternal trauma and child trauma symptoms. As well, parenting stress mediates parent trauma exposure and internalizing behavior in their children. Mediation models can be helpful in finding specific factors that determine the transmission of intergenerational trauma. Practitioners can then focus on these factors as part of an intervention. Thinking critically. From your experience, can you think of any other factors that might mediate or moderate the relationship between parental trauma and outcomes in children? Write them down as you listen to this podcast and reference this list to what is discussed following. Parenting Issues and Outcomes This section is dedicated to a review of literature on parenting factors and outcomes for children when one or more caregivers have a history of trauma. Generally speaking, literature shows that parents with a history of trauma are more likely to, though not necessarily will, have an authoritarian parenting style that may involve verbal hostility, physical coercion, and low levels of nurturance. Furthermore, authoritarian parenting is related to child welfare service involvement and can result in child behavioral problems, such as affective, hyperactive, and oppositional defiant disorders, and internalizing and externalizing symptoms. Researchers theorize that negative child outcomes that arise when caregivers' parenting style is authoritative are due to the low parental sensitivity and emotional regulation that occurs during important developmental stages. Interestingly, other research has examined pre-generational effects of parenting style, with some notable findings. Lukek and colleagues tested correlations between experiences with authoritative and punitive discipline in childhood and current opinions regarding discipline. Authors found that physical punishment and psychological aggression in childhood correlated with acceptability of inflicting physical punishment and psychological aggression as a parent. As well, these features in childhood correlated with low parental confidence, parental stress, and impulsivity. Zaluski and colleagues examined the role of maternal childhood trauma on parenting among depressed mothers and found that maternal childhood emotional abuse was associated with lower maternal acceptance of child, psychological abuse, and impulsivity. These studies provide an example of how new research is bridging the gap between multiple generations of parenting to arrive at a more fulsome understanding of intergenerational trauma. Following, main topics of interest in the literature are summarized. Interpersonal violence. Exposure to interpersonal violence and intimate partner violence, or IPV, is the most common source of trauma for children in the United States, and research has responded by attempting to measure the effect that IPV exposure has on child development. Of major concern is how IPV exposure affects the child's emotional responses to violence, and relational issues outside of the parenting relationship, with a focus on how IPV exposure might sensitize children to violence. Grounding theory for these studies determines that child outcomes are largely influenced by the parenting response that occurs after IPV. Parents dealing with high amounts of stress may be less apt to support their children after exposure to violence and more apt to engage in negative parenting behaviors, including disengagement, aggressiveness, hypervigilance, and hostility towards the child. Mothers who are victims of IPV are more prone to experience higher levels of parenting stress, 
lower parental satisfaction and confidence, and are at high risk of comorbid depression. When parenting becomes negatively affected by IPV, the risk of adverse outcomes for children increases. Specifically, emotional management and self-regulatory skills of the child may become impacted, leading to prolonged trauma symptoms such as internalizing and externalizing behaviors, PTSD, and major depressive symptoms. Such research on interpersonal violence paints a bleak picture for children and families. However, an alternative hypothesis, also emergent in the literature, provides an interesting response. Some researchers have found that in specific cases, women affected by IPV may heighten their attentional focus on a child in order to compensate for the chaotic home environment and make up for the abusive parent. In fact, IPV victims may even achieve parenting consistency, despite the trauma. Findings indicate that effective parenting practices immediately after an IPV event, such as responsiveness and supportive parenting, can predict decreases in child trauma-related stress and internalizing problems. Given that research shows that a history of trauma and PTSD can inform adult-partner relationships and increase risk for IPV, positive parenting behavior after IPV may be one way to stave off the process of intergenerational trauma. Maternal trauma and depression. Trauma symptomology is highly dependent on life circumstances that may cause stress or trigger negative emotional states. Researchers have found that many long-term parenting symptoms arise early in the prenatal period and can affect the caregiving environment, as stress from pregnancy can trigger trauma psychopathology, surfacing childhood memories and activating emotional responses. Maternal depression is quite common among women with histories of trauma, and women with pre- and postnatal depression are very vulnerable to experiencing high levels of parenting stress during the major emotional, social, and practical life changes that occur during and after pregnancy. Research shows that maternal depressive symptoms are significant mediators of the relationship between parental trauma and behavioral development in children. Mothers with high rates of depression are less responsive to their children, especially if the depression is chronic. Postpartum depression has also been linked to less sensitive parenting and challenges with responding to infant signals of distress and sensitivity. The pathology of trauma and stress during pregnancy and in the early postnatal period manifests in many ways. Yehuda and colleagues attempted to trace intergenerational trauma psychopathology by following 38 mothers who developed symptoms of PTSD after witnessing the World Trade Center attacks on September 11, 2001. Authors compare these mothers to an equal sample of mothers who witnessed the attacks but did not develop symptoms of PTSD. Mothers were either carrying a baby in their first term or became pregnant within three months after the attacks and successfully carried to term. Salivary cortisol samples, an indicator of stress levels, were collected from the mothers and infants of both samples at the one-year postnatal mark. Higher cortisol levels were observed in both mothers and babies of mothers who developed PTSD in response to the September 11th attacks, in comparison to mothers who did not develop PTSD symptoms and their babies. This indicates higher stress levels for both mothers and babies of mothers who developed PTSD. Though this study uses a low sample size, data suggests that effects of maternal PTSD can be observed very early in the life of the offspring and underscores the relevance of in utero and early childhood contributors to the biological risk for PTSD. 
Knowledge on maternal depression and PTSD can help inform early interventions that work to reduce the deleterious effects of maternal depression. Childhood Sexual Abuse The impact of childhood sexual abuse, or CSA, on parenting outcomes in mothers is a particularly salient discussion in the literature. Childhood sexual abuse, or childhood sexual trauma, is defined as the engagement of a child in sexual activities for which the child is developmentally unprepared and cannot give informed consent. When compared to women without CSA histories, women with a history of childhood sexual abuse report greater levels of emotional withdrawal, depression, and dissociation. Emotional regulation dysfunction in mothers as a result of CSA have been related to parenting difficulties, such as decreased mother-child bonding, low parenting competence, parenting stress, and an increased risk for interpersonal violence. Many mothers who have experienced CSA attribute these poor outcomes to not being exposed to successful modes of parenting in their own childhood, which can impair their ability to appropriately respond to a child's cues for comfort and protection, as this behavior may evoke painful memories related to the violation of trust experienced in previous early life attachments. Studies outline that mothers with histories of CSA may show more hostility in their parenting style, including use of physical punishment, which can lead to conduct problems in children. Further understanding the parenting behavior related to mothers with CSA is imperative to building trauma-specific interventions. Thinking critically. The issues we have discussed so far are common to child welfare cases. Based on the information provided, how will you know if a specific case involves intergenerational trauma? Delineating between cases that do and do not involve intergenerational trauma will necessarily inform your decision-making process. Practice considerations. Learning about parental and familial factors that are found to influence the relationship between a trauma-exposed parent and their child can help inform interventions. This necessarily includes learning about a parent's possible history of childhood abuse. Finding similar risk factors is especially important for families in preventative services and families seeking reunification. Incorporating a focus on parent-child attachment and intergenerational trauma is commonly referred to as relational modes of care and can be firstly accomplished by inquiring about any history of abuse or trauma in a parent before deciding if and how an intervention can interrupt the intergenerational transmission of trauma. Assessing for trauma histories in parents should include examining trauma typology, such as childhood sexual trauma in mothers and other experiences of childhood abuse and maltreatment, as well as post-trauma symptoms, such as depressive symptomology and post-traumatic psychological stress. If possible, prenatal screening can offer optimal time for mental health treatment and developing a parenting plan that targets specific domains of functioning. Trauma screening is the first step in learning about intergenerational transmission, and an assessment should be detailed enough to form an accurate picture to how trauma symptomology are affecting parenting practice. Following an ecological systems perspective, decisions on service interventions when intergenerational trauma is a factor should include the consideration of multiple systems of demands, including that of child welfare services that are placed on parents and that may cause more stress within their ecology. An ecological approach asserts that services must target 
all of the presenting issues, both independently and concurrently, examining which specific parental behaviors are affecting specific developmental outcomes in the child. Research on associated factors within the intergenerational transmission of trauma, as summarized in this podcast, can be used to further elucidate these pathways within each specific case. Protective factors. Amidst a dearth of literature outlining the negative effects of trauma on parenting practice, a second camp of studies have endeavored to locate specific protective factors that can be engaged when trauma symptomology is affecting parenting practice. Caregivers can use personal resources, such as education, social networking, and work, to adapt to parenting stress. Researchers are beginning to identify common themes among parents with a history of trauma. For example, a number of studies have identified social support to be a particularly strong protective factor. Sprang and colleagues have found that less social support predicted the perceptions of parenting for caregivers with a history of trauma to be more negative, and that these parents reported higher parenting stress. Alternately, more social support predicted less parent-child dysfunction and has been found to influence positive parenting behavior. Social support was also found to mediate childhood trauma and parenting stress, in that the incorporation of social support into the model decreased parenting stress. Other protective factors found for parents with a history of trauma include problem-solving skills, positive coping and self-care skills, self-esteem, employment, and spirituality. Interventions should be careful to incorporate functions that bolster self-care strategies and protective factors, with a special focus on increasing social supports. Interventions In choosing an intervention for children and families when intergenerational trauma is a factor, and indeed for all populations in child welfare, careful consideration must be given to the fit of the intervention. That is, practitioners must ask the question, Does this intervention adequately address the needs of the child and family? In some cases, an intervention might not encompass the entire range of needs identified, or an intervention might not be appropriate at all. For example, research has shown that symptoms associated with parental PTSD tend to exacerbate parenting stress and reduce parenting ability, leading to the notion that parenting stress is what is causing the negative outcomes, rather than it being purely an issue of parenting skill. Therefore, an intervention approach that favors psychoeducational interventions, which focus primarily on parental skill building, are not likely to help, which do not address the source of the barrier to parenting skills. Children and families affected by intergenerational transmission of trauma require specialized support that targets trauma and its many pathways between generations. It has been found that parents with a history of trauma typically do not respond well to traditional engagement from child welfare services which tend to focus on parent skill-building interventions and are directed at finding employment or housing. Parents' progress in these programs is usually slow and not sustained. Instead, focus should be put on providing clinical therapeutic work that seeks to help parents become more aware of how the pain incurred in previous relationships may be influencing current internalizing, thought patterns, and outward behavior with their own children. Unfortunately, interventions that address intergenerational trauma for children and families are sparse and poorly tested. There are no interventions with this focus that target child welfare services.
Instead, practitioners are challenged to form hybrid intervention plans that may use multiple strategies that identify the unique range of needs expressed by children and families affected by intergenerational trauma. Following, popular interventions are summarized and mapped as either attachment-focused, aimed at repairing and improving parent-child relationships, psychoeducational, aimed at providing tangible, positive parenting skills, trauma-informed, aimed at identifying trauma and building positive coping strategies, or a hybrid of two or more approaches. In the print version of this literature review, interventions are visualized on a diagram for further clarification. Brief Strategic Family Therapy, BSFT. Brief Strategic Family Therapy is a family-focused treatment that helps to identify stress factors within the family system. This is accomplished by supporting the family to deal with stress or conflict more positively by building coping strategies for both the child and caregiver. A major focus of Brief Strategic Family Therapy is building positive relationships between members of the family and increasing parent-child attachment through clinical family therapy. Though cited in the literature as a possible intervention, there are no rigorous studies showing the effect brief strategic family therapy has on reducing trauma symptoms. The parenting process. The parenting process is an integrative model of parenting education that includes a therapeutic component as well. Components of the parenting process intervention are psychoanalytically informed and aimed at increasing the likelihood of new, healthier patterns of parent-child relating. This is achieved by teaching mindfulness, attachment, and mirroring techniques for caregivers with low parenting confidence and parent-child bonding impairments. Dyadic, attachment-oriented interventions which aim to change parent behavior and enhance the likelihood of child attachment security are popular responses to families with intergenerational trauma. Other examples include Circle of Security and Minding the Baby. These interventions have not yet been evaluated, and therefore the effect they may have on parents is unknown. Cognitive Behavioral Conjoint Therapy Cognitive Behavioral Conjoint Therapy is aimed at reducing PTSD symptoms while improving adjustment and mental health functioning for parents. This is achieved while integrating traditional cognitive behavioral approaches with a trauma-informed component, working specifically with symptoms that arise from previous trauma. Landy and colleagues tested the effects of cognitive behavioral conjoint therapy in 14 individuals, six parenting dyads, each with at least one parent experiencing PTSD symptoms, who had children under the age of 18, recruited from a larger study in Toronto and Boston. Some enhancements in parenting competency were measured and associated with improvements in PTSD symptomology. However, these findings should be interpreted with caution, as a low sample size and absence of a control group greatly reduce the generalizability. Family Live As the only formalized, caregiver-focused family therapy model that addresses complex trauma, parenting skills, and attachments concurrently, Family Live stands out as a unique intervention. Family Live is based on a narrative, strength-based approach and utilizes related techniques such as reflection and individualized verbalizations to address trauma and promote positive child, caregiver, and family changes, while also promoting family strength. 
While Family Live has enjoyed clinical anecdotal success, it has yet to be empirically evaluated, and therefore we cannot accurately measure its intended benefits on children and families. Safe Mothers, Safe Children Project, SMSC. SMSC is the only intervention on this list that adopts a child welfare-specific lens. The primary goal of SMSC is to reduce the risk of future child maltreatment through enhancing the treatment of mothers with trauma disorders receiving child welfare preventative services. This is accomplished by training caseworkers to screen mothers for trauma exposure and related mental health issues, then target this population by offering programs that develop positive parenting skills. In a small pilot study on SMSC, Shemtob and colleagues found that the screening process offered by the program led to a greater sense of efficacy among agency care planners and increased requests for trauma-related skill training. In this study, there were no measures taken for child and family outcomes. As well, SMSC fails to adequately address attachment-related issues, instead focusing primarily on parenting skill development. A note about fathers. Before concluding this literature review, an important final note on paternal outcomes and intergenerational trauma is necessary. The listener might notice an absence of information on fathers and related issues within the discussion on intergenerational trauma. This is not because fathers are less important, but because paternal trauma psychopathology has been investigated far less in the literature. Indeed, the trauma experiences of fathers are important considerations when examining the attachment with the child, as fathers with insecure attachments in childhood are at high risk of transmitting this on to their children. It has been found that child involvement of positive father-child relationships is associated with fewer child behavior problems. Though some theoretical work on describing the attachment issues and roles of fathers in intergenerational trauma exists, Little empirical work has been completed to help us better understand how paternal trauma transmits across generations. Fathers involved in different social services, including child welfare and substance misuse services, report a high need for parenting support, while concurrently reporting childhoods filled with neglect, poverty, trauma, and interpersonal violence exposure. Fathers with high rates of PTSD and childhood histories of neglect report more parenting difficulties, aggressive parenting tactics, and lower parenting satisfaction. Despite the need for programs that identify father-specific issues, interventions continue to be overattended by mothers. This may be due in part to fears preventing fathers from participating that include the fear that they cannot be good fathers, fears that involvement in the child welfare system may exacerbate other problems, and a general perception that the child welfare system is not there to help them. Fathers might also be excluded from child welfare work due to dichotomous thinking from practitioners who label them either as risk or a resource, or because the mother does not identify them as part of the family system. Juxtaposing this research are studies on fathers who are already enrolled in child welfare services and programs showing high levels of motivation. Researchers agree that early identification and involvement with fathers corresponds with high levels of engagement in child welfare services. This can be accomplished by tailoring services to fathers by offering flexible hours, home visits, and choice in treatment. 
Motivational interviewing has been suggested as a strategy to increase involvement by providing a client-centered, directive therapeutic engagement that is designed to help fathers move forward into active participation in services. However, motivational interviewing has yet to be tested in trauma and paternal-specific child welfare practice contexts. In order for interventions addressing intergenerational trauma to be effective with fathers, they must address the underlying emotional issues behind the trauma by examining comorbid psychiatric symptoms and psychopathologies. Unfortunately, parenting programs that target trauma and fatherhood simply do not exist, forcing practitioners to find hybrid, multi-intervention solutions to adequately address issues for fathers. Such interventions must contain an integrative, trauma-informed curriculum that deals with specific issues relating to fatherhood and offer psychological and mental health support. Strengths-based interventions that focus on the important contributions of the father and support reflection on past experiences and behavior have been identified as promising practice with fathers. Interventions with a focus on goal-setting and coping mechanisms are also discussed in the literature. Thinking critically. Do you use any of these interventions in your agency? If so, what clinical evidence do they provide? Are there any interventions on this list that you see as important but aren't used in your agency? What are some of the benefits and challenges of testing and implementing a new intervention in your agency? Conclusion In line with an overview mentioned in the intervention section of this podcast, most child welfare-specific fatherhood programs Focus on teaching parenting strategies and skills, including understanding child behavior and encouraging positive discipline techniques. However, research indicates that parenting education alone is not enough to improve parenting outcomes for both mothers and fathers with histories of trauma. Responses from the field must instead meet the nuanced and often complicated cases of intergenerational trauma with interventions that target the many factors relating to trauma symptomology parent-child attachment, and the transmission of trauma onto children. Developing appropriate responses will require a tandem effort between researchers and practitioners within an evidence-informed framework. Key Summary Points Studies on intergenerational trauma have evolved in design and methodology in an effort to further clarify risk factors and relationships. This includes the employment of mediation models and the consideration of protective factors. Specific issues within this research, such as interpersonal violence and maternal depression, have surfaced as popular topics of interest. It is recommended that workers who engage children and families affected by intergenerational trauma adopt an ecological developmental perspective. This approach can help form assessment and intervention decisions that consider the multiple systems affecting parents and their children. Inherent in this approach is a practical response that addresses each problem concurrently and at an integrated level. Despite the increased attention and sizable knowledge base, interventions that specifically address intergenerational trauma in children and families are surprisingly sparse. Furthermore, available programs are not well evaluated or not evaluated at all. Practitioners need to build service responses that might include multiple interventions and systems of care that address different aspects of intergenerational trauma. 
The challenge associated with this approach is facilitating an integrated response that includes communication across services. You have been listening to the ParkCast series, episode 44, part 2. At parkcanada.org, you can access part 1 of this episode, as well as literature reviews in print format in the Particles Library. The ParkCast series is produced by Practice and Research Together. For more information about and additional resources on this episode's topic, the ParkCast series, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org.